Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Roker Report Extra Pod in association with our friends at the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. I'm Brett and thanks for downloading this pod, which um, according to Love Supreme in their recent poll is the number one of all Sunderland podcasts. So um, I am pleased you did that poll uh, this weekend and not next weekend after my pod. It might be a different sort of result. So um, we'll move straight on. After Tuesday night's defeat um, against Plymouth, we are looking ahead to Saturday's game versus Shrewsbury. And also, you know, we'll be chatting more about where we go from here, really, because it's, um, it's a bit of a funny time for us. But I'm not alone. Today I'm joined by a couple of exiles. One is uh, in Oxford and that's Jimmy Lowson. Jimmy, how are you doing? Yeah, good thanks. Yourself? I'm good, thank you, mate. Um, I'm pleased I'm doing this pod rather than the one straight after yesterday's game because I think I'm in quite such a uh, bubbly mood. I'm, I'm still licking my wounds a little. I'm not going to lie. It was one of those where this has kind of been dawning over me all day. It's like, oh no. Like I had rewatching the highlights back about half an hour ago was painful painful it's just like oh my god of all of all the weeks to be back on but i'm sure you'll pick my mood up brett i'm sure sure we'll have a laugh anyway well if i can't do it, i'm sure this man can it's um all the way in australia <laughs> it's uh martin wanderless martin how are you i'm all right miss i'm all right how are you again i'll say i'm, I'm good mate i'm good i think um as sunderland fans we're used to being sort of repeatedly kicked in the stomach so uh yeah we've got to roll with it i think we do those kicks just keep on coming though don't they when you, you think we might have turned the corner and um we're on, on an upward trajectory. We get another slam in the face. So, yeah, interesting times. No, it does. It keeps happening. So, what I say, what did we want to sort of go back on to, um, you know, we'll touch upon sort of Tuesday night's game and, and say we will talk more about Sunderland going forward. You know, obviously 11 days left of this um, transfer window. But let's look at the glamour tie this weekend, which is Shrewsbury. Now, I think it's fair to say that um, Burge will sort of Staying goal. I don't think I see sort of question marks over that. But Lee Johnson seems to he's favouring this kind of strange four two 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 formation. They sort of keep sort of bringing out. So let, Jimmy, let's um you know let's look at this actual formation and where we actually think we're going to end up playing on Saturday. So you know the back four. Well, let's start with, um at the right back. So Max Power is he for you a right back? Is he for you going to start on Saturday? Obviously now that you know Sanderson may go into the centre. What's your initial thoughts on Max Power? I quite like him there. I think he's been pretty good as a right back, to be honest. Um, the thing with Max Power is like sort of as his form's dipped and flowed over the last two and a half years, you can never really question his commitment. I think 
especially in the empty stadiums, more than anyone else, he's Sutton's most vocal player. He's somebody who absolutely loves playing football, loves throwing himself into challenges. And I think that right back slot works quite well for him because he can bomb up and down, he can use his energy, he can tackle people, he can be aggressive. And he's not the best cross in the world, but he's not terrible either. So sort of as another option, especially with McLaughlin out and 9 working his way back to fitness, I don't mind power there. I think really it's going to come down to, like you touched on Brett, whether or not he goes with 9 whether 9s fit enough to start, whether Lee Johnson likes 9 as a fullback, who's obviously a player he's not really been able to test out yet. I think that's what it's going to come down to. My hunch, which one would I prefer to see start? I mean... I think I think power might move back into the middle. I think it's it's once again it's a knock on thing. It's like does Josh Scoen finally get dropped? If Josh Scoen finally gets dropped, does Max Power move into midfield? And it's all sort of a domino effect, really, because I think it'll be him or O nine with like you said Sanderson playing in the middle. But I don't know. I'm open to being convinced which one of them gets the nod. Power or O nine in there. Martin, yourself, where would you favour then? Out of, out of if you had a choice of Max Power and Luke O nine, who who would be your right back on Saturday? I I would go with power out of those two simply because I think O nine's probably more effective or potentially more effective for us further up, up the pitch. And I think you know you look at the team as a whole and our goal scoring threat is pathetic. You know we we just can't bag a, a bloody goal, can we? Um, apart from King Charlie White <laughs> with his um, ridiculous hat trick. So you look like to me O nine is is one of the few players who's actually a, a relatively natural goal scorer. I think he's got goals in his locker, and we've seen that from from right back, right wing back. And I would love to see O'Nine given a chance in that advanced midfield role because I think he can add goals to us. And I'd be really interested to see where Johnson actually puts him when he gets him onto the field because obviously Johnson hasn't had him available for for real selection. Obviously he's been on the bench the last couple of games, hasn't he? So I think like where who plays right back will be determined by how Johnson sees O'Nine in terms of attacking value for his team. Now, it's going to be a real interesting one once O'Nine actually does get back. And I say he's been on the bench last two games, so he must be nearing some sort of fitness. He's, and to be fair, I think he's got a fit lad anyway. I don't think he's going to take him too long to get up to speed. It wasn't, it was a shoulder injury, wasn't he, had. So he's still going to be able to be out right now doing some sort of like leg work. But no, it's going to be interesting to see where he plays. And I think when it, like to go for like for the rest of that back to four of the defence, I think actually it all picks itself anyway. Because, you know, if I'm wrong here, then you're going to have um, power right. Sanderson and then um, McFadden on the left-hand side with Hume being stood oh, out. Good. I don't see anything else ca- can be played in those positions. Can either of you guys, Jimmy, can you see anything else apart from really them three slots being taken up by those three? The only the only curveball I can think of is Sanderson at left-back and then Younger coming into the team. That's that's the only one I can think of. And Sanderson was good. It Was it was it the Lincoln game? No, it was nil-nil against Northampton, wasn't it, where he played left-back? Yeah, it he was. He was pretty yeah. good there, yeah. it's it's It comes down to balance, really. Like like you sort of mentioned, Brett, this 4-2-2 formation. I can only really think of two or three teams that play it. And typically, I mean, Southampton are the only team I can think of in England that do it. And they have pretty good fullbacks that are pretty good going forward. So I wonder whether if we are going to stick with this formation, he'd want the balance of McFadzine on the left with all the uh, defensive drawbacks that go <laughs> with it. I wonder whether he'd rather have somebody that can actually go up and down and contribute going forward and take the sort of drawbacks that you get on the other side with a guy who clearly just, just doesn't enjoy tackling, doesn't enjoy defending, 
isn't aggressive at all on the pitch, I think Johnson might sort of say, right, this is it. We'll put up with McFadzine until we get Hume back and, and, and keep sort of the three that you mentioned playing in those slots to give us a better balance, to give us a better chance of breaking down teams. But Sanderson's the only curveball there, really, for me. Well, it seems as if he's had an, had an agreement with Wolves that Sanderson's got to play, doesn't it? Because he, he had some interest from Cardiff last week, and I think Johnson said he'd spoken to, to Wolves and assured them that Sanderson would be getting a lot more a lot more game time. So it's almost as if we've kind of got to have Sanderson in that back four somewhere, which obviously isn't a bad thing because he, he looks a, a good player. But where he actually fits in is um, is the question, isn't it? Well, I was going to say there, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing him actually being in that back four, because he's probably one of our better defenders anyway. No, I like him. He looks a good. He looks comfortable on the ball. He brings the ball out. He he passes it well. He he looks a class above League One, doesn't he? The other thing as well is we're all fans. We all think he's one of our better players. Willis's injury is it a blessing in disguise? Now can we actually say Sanderson and Bailey Wright put them in the team sheet, let them gain a partnership, let them learn what it's like to play with each other, and hopefully pencil those guys in for seventy, eighty percent of our games between now and the end of the season? Is that the partnership, if there is going to be a run, if there is going to be a playoff push, <laughs> are those are those the two? Are those the two to do it? I think that's that's what we've got. Obviously, hope for because I think they're our two most talented defenders. I think it brings a bigger question, though, doesn't it, with um, with Johnson's sort of team selection and formation in back four, which we'll we'll probably come on to later on. But those those players that we've described there, and obviously we we are a little short in centre backs at, at the minute with the injuries that we have, but the full backs that we've talked about, 9 Power, McFadzian, even Denver Hume, they're far better playing as, as more advanced full-backs or wing-backs yep. than they are as, as full-backs in a flat-back four. And you know, Bailey Wright, to me, has looked a shadow of the player he was when he was playing at the centre of three defenders as well. So I think it, it brings another conversation about that, you know, back four versus back three slash back five, and whether Johnson's been too quick to get rid of that defensive element of the TV inherited. Well, I think you'll find now, and I've, I've had said this a few times on the pods, modern-day fullbacks, very few actually defend anyway. You know, there's very few that can do both attacking and defending to a real high quality. You think, you know, obviously a million miles away from where we are, but someone like Ashley Cole, a left-back, could defend and attack equally as well as each other. Denver Hume, for us, you know, he's, he's OK, you know, defending, he's he's good at attacking, his final ball's not quite there. So it, I think for our level, we're always going to struggle to get an out-and-out left-back that can also then do that overlapping runs and, and attacking as well. So it's always going to be difficult. Um, so someone like McFadzian, it's never sort of, it's never started from here for us. I think that that first game he had, he looked really good and looked like he was going to really push on and give Denver Hume some, some competition. But Martin, as soon as I said his name a minute ago, you literally groaned. <laughs> <laughs> it's telling in itself, isn't it? He's a plodder, isn't he? He's, you know, he's mid mid twenties. He's playing in division, well, in the fourth division. What was in, in League Two last season for for Plymouth? He's a plodder. He's a rank average, horrendous footballer who we just have to endure <laughs> at the minute, and it, it it makes my eyes burn to watch players like that play for us. It's hard work. It really is. So let's move away then from uh, your burning eyes and uh, move into the um. So the, the the first of the twos. So you've got your two defensive midfielders. Now, yesterday we had Winchester making his um his actual debut for us. And then you've also got the options then of um, Josh Scowen, who seems to be flavour of the month. Um, you've got Ledbitter in there. You've got Dobson, obviously seems completely out of the picture for now. And then obviously possibly Max Power, but I think we said he's going to realistically be right back. 
Where do you guys feel then we need to be on Saturday to get a result out of them sort of midfield options? Martin, I'll go with you first. I think the, the central midfield um, pairing that we picked on Tuesday was obviously lacking in something. But it was telling that, you know, Scowan played for um, Johnson at Barnsley. And I think Johnson trusts Scowan. And obviously Winchester's his first sign for the club. And I, I, I saw a bit of um, a bit of criticism of Winchester's debut. And, that, you know, obviously it wasn't a, a great debut. But in the, in the context of a really bad performance, I thought he was all right. I think he, um, he's got a little bit of stature. He goes looking for the ball and he moves the ball quickly, which is something that we've lacked in, in central midfield. So to me, I think, you know, if especially if we're playing that back four, Grant Ledbetter does a great job just sitting and covering the the fullbacks when they move up. So to me, I'd I'd like to see Ledbetter and um and Winchester in midfield as a as a pairing. Um, I think that you know there, there is an argument. And that there was a well, it was good readers' corner um post on on the site this week looking at sort of George Dobson and kind of saying he's probably been a bit unfairly criticised at Sunderland because he's been asked to do a more advanced role than he he naturally would do. I think if Johnson's playing that, you know, those two holding midfield players, there is an argument at some point to bring Dobson into that mix with with Ledbetter and um, Scowen and, and Winchester. You've obviously got four there who could probably do that job. As Jimmy says, like Scowen seems to be flavour of the month, but you know, and I, I actually like Scowen. I think he's got a bit about him, but I just think his form over the past few weeks has been has been poor. He um, he obviously put a nice ball through for White to get his hat trick last Saturday, didn't he? But his set pieces have been poor. He gives the ball away. And he just doesn't look at it. Yeah, for me, I think my my two sitting midfield players would be um, would be Ledbetter and Winchester. Jimmy, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm in agreement largely. Like Josh Scone, I think I think he's a really talented guy. He can run with the ball. He's good technically for this level. He can pick a pass, like Martin said, for White's hat trick. He's just been playing terribly. He's just been playing terribly for ages. He's just been really, really rubbish consistently, and he could probably do with a break. The problem is, if we are going to be playing with two holding midfielders and we need someone alongside Ledbetter, I'm assuming Ledbetter's going to come back in because Shrewsbury are going to sit deep and he's our best long-range passer. He's our best sort of forward passer in midfield. I kind of feel like... You need to play Scone or Power there just for their legs, just for their running. Um, largely in agreement with Martin about um, Winchester's debut. I thought he was fine. Yeah. I think he looks quite comfortable on the ball. He's quite physically strong. He just looked a bit lost in the system. He looked, There were quite a few times where he'd look to play a ball out to a fullback or to another midfielder, and there was no one there. He just looked a bit lost. And I think with time, he, he could be a good player here. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really sort of stuck because the system we played just didn't work at all and I'm sat here thinking is Johnson going to persist with it as he earmarks that as the best formation for the players we've got or are we going to try something new again and that's kind of really the dilemma it's like are we going to go back to 4-3-3 or is Johnson gonna blame yesterday on the conditions spend more time getting this formation right on the training pitch and if so I, I think it would be in his best interest to play Ledbetter and Power really but I could easily see Scoan being given his fifth or sixth chance and, and starting in there just because he runs about a lot and he, he gives us those legs in midfield. Well, that's the uh, the defensive um, side of things there. So attacking, we've got, I say a sport for choice, but I think that's could be... <laughs> generous. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm looking at. That's a very generous thing to say. So out of those two attacking midfielders, you've got sort of McGeady, you've got Jack Diamond, Elliot Embleton sort of keeps coming in and out. Chris McGuire, whose form is, well, nowhere to be seen at the moment. And obviously you've got Gooch, who is out. I think he's actually got COVID, hasn't he? So he's going to be out for the next sort of week or so. So 
out of that four, we had yesterday, obviously, um, Jack Diamond and Ada McGeady. Martin, are you happy with those two? I, I, I don't think they played that bad, actually, the pair of them. I really like Jack Diamond. I think you know he's he's a player who we need to, to stick with and play and you know, keep giving chances to. Um, I think when we come on to talking about, about Shrewsbury for, for Saturday, they've had a, a bit of a you know, a few troubles with their, their full backs or wing backs that they, they play with. So I, I think having Diamond, you know, on that right hand side is a is a given. Like McGeady, it kinda of, it really depends what's going on off the field. Like we saw, yeah. we saw him um being less than happy at, at <laughs> being subbed on, on um Tuesday night, didn't we? And um I think Johnson came out with a few comments and whether they were directed at McGeady or, or not, it's it's kind of easy to interpret that they, they are. And you know, there's obviously some trouble off the field. There's obviously a bit of um dissension in, in the camps and whether McGeady's part of that or not maybe Parky was right who knows so it'll be interesting <laughs> with Johnson's team selection on, on Saturday to see whether McGeady's anywhere near the um, the starting 11 because I, I think he's done alright since he's come back but he hasn't been world beaten has he? No he's not set the world light honestly you can put that down you know, obviously he's, he's another year older than he was when he last played he's not the, you know, a young player as it is his fitness is going to take a little bit more time to, to get back up and running again. I say, I think he's done in, in, well in patches, but yeah, he's not been... Well, there was talk last, you know, two years ago that he's pretty much a cheat code in this league, isn't he? Because mm-hmm. he's, he's that much better than everyone else. He's not easily the best player in the league anymore. But I don't think he's, a, he's as effective when he comes at 10 yards in field. I think where you, you play McGeady is him hugging the, the touchline and sort of stepping in if the full-back's overlapping. Um, but I think when when you play, when Johnson's playing that sort of slightly sort of narrower sort of second two, I don't think he's is effective. He doesn't get the ball in the positions where he can actually you know have, he's facing the fullback. Mm. He's um he's got more you know he's got three hundred and sixty degrees around him on the pitch rather than rather than having the touchline behind him. And I think that I I just don't think it suits him. And I think you know that was one of the reasons why he, he kind of fell out of favour with Parkinson at the um at the start because Parky just couldn't see a way of getting him into the into the side so I, you know I, I think it's and you know there's a whole other conversation to be had around that as well isn't it because hey, he's out of contract at the end of the season and there's absolutely no way he's going to be at Sunderland next season no, no and chance. are we better off playing Embleton in there for example giving him game time seeing if he can do it because you know the way this season's going we might as well use it you know to to bed in players who we we know are going to be here next season and you know Embleton needs time Dan Neal another one needs game time so you know it, it brings a, a bigger question to the table about about you know team selection for the longer term rather than for this week for next week and for the following week. No, so it's a very good point you made there, Martin. And you know it is. I say it's that strange question. Like you know, do you give up on this season already? You say we're only what three points behind the playoffs. You know, you can't really judge the players because the only team's got someone nineteen games, someone twenty one games. So you can't really work out where you're going to be until like you know the cards all fall and we can work it out from there. But you know. Would you say then for yourself? Would you say go for the youngsters now, and if we don't make the playoffs, so be it? I think we've we've got to do it smartly. I'm I'm certainly not saying scrap everybody, chuck everybody out, and no, no, don't don't in. chuck all the youngsters in. But you know, for for players who we know aren't going to be here next season, and we don't think would be able to take a step up, why not give you know one or two of them, like Embleton, even Patterson in goal? You know, is it worthwhile giving him? Some game like Burge is unlikely to be here next season. Remy Matthews is unlikely to be here next season. Is it worthwhile giving him a, a run, or you get them out on loan? But you've got this, you know, this small group of players underneath that that yeah. first eleven who haven't been proven at, at League One level. They, they need game time somewhere for us to be able to use them at, at any point. So, like to me, I think there's an argument for you know Embleton coming in and playing that role that McGeady was playing because I think I think Embleton did pretty well against Wimbledon, and then he was. 
he was hauled off fairly early in the, in the second half, wasn't he? So I certainly wouldn't do it in a wholesale manner, but you know, bringing one or two of them in, um, I think there's merit. But I certainly wouldn't be giving up on, on this season yet. I think with the addition of a striker, um, that group of players is certainly good enough to be competing for a, a playoff place, at least. Jimmy, just going back to my uh, sort of original question as we was going through the team. So we've had um, hearing from Martin there regarding um, those two attacking sort of midfield roles. Yourself then, would you sort of st- stick with McGeady and Jack Diamond or would you be, ch- be looking at changing that? For me, Embleton has to start. Um, to me, that's that's just a no-brainer. I thought he was excellent against Port Vale in the uh, Pizza Trophy. I thought he was really good, really good in the game after against Wimbledon, even if, like Martin said, he did get taken off. To me, to me, it's Embleton and one over. I seem to be in the minority, including Lee Johnson. I think it's me and Aidan McGeady out on an island thinking he played quite well yesterday and our attack <laughs> just went to absolute pieces after he came off. So if 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 Johnson makes the call that look this guy, I think Johnson used the phrase something culturally wrong. He, he definitely used the word culture yeah. in his mm. post match interview. So if 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 McGeady culturally doesn't fit and he doesn't make the squad, I'm fine with that. If if we're picking players based on ability, I'd I'd like to see Ambleton and McGeady start there, really. I mean Diamond's really good. I think he's better suited playing in the four three three. I think he's a really good option off the bench. But to me, the Sunderland have looked a lot more dangerous as a team in the last sort of two weeks when em- Elliot Embleton is playing, and I'd like to see him start. I was going to get to it a little bit later on, but I thought, you know, great time to pick it up now. That on your comment about this culturally wrong, it is there is something wrong. I think at our club at the moment, um, and I do think as. You know, mine's have said it there. You know, we've got decent players who should be should be able to get into the playoffs at least this season. And I know, so when we had like Roy Keane at the club, there was a seems to be this different mindset. The team were, you know, they weren't the best players in the world, but there was this never say die attitudes. You know, they were never going to get defeated. You know, the amount of late goals we scored, they were never going to give up. They were they there was a winning mentality, if, even if they weren't quite quite there themselves. But this has seems to be, and this is going five, six years now, we have got a, a loser's mentality to our club. You know, we've got a second best mentality. And I know Lee Johnson, when he first came in, mentioned things about the clocks not being changed and even the little things like that. But it seems to even now be going on to things like the pitch. Like how terrible did our pitch look last night? You know, we're playing on a, a beautiful 47,000 all-seater stadium on a like, potato field. It's There's something not right I don't think at the club and I think Lee Johnson's right to sort of pick it out and say it Martin I might be completely wrong here with what I'm with what I'm saying but is there something is it not just is it just one player or two players that are bad eggs or is it something more deep-rooted at the club no I think it's deep-rooted isn't it and I think um you know there's, there's been so many symbols of that um you know that lack of care at, at the club over, over the past you know well over the past two and a half years hasn't it since um since Stuart Donald took took over the club there's corners have been cut, and we, you know, there's only one way that's going to go. If you're continually cutting things away, you know, from from the state of the pitch to to John Cook being unceremoniously exited, and you know, it's not necessarily him going, but the manner that he went, and it's just, you know, there's there's a there just seems to be a lack of pride mm. about certain things throughout the club. I think you know that obviously transmits on the field, um, as we've we've kind of seen with um, you know, some of the things that Johnson's been been talking about and you know i think we were hopefully on the on the verge of that change and you know we're in this weird limbo period now where yeah we can't get too angry at the owners because they've decided to sell the club there's nobody to 
to change things. So we're just in this weird sort of period of, of limbo of, of no man's land where we're just plodding on until the, the takeover gets um, ratified by the EFL and that new chapter can start, which will hopefully go a long way to rectifying a lot of the, the things that we talked about. But you talk about um, Roy Keane's spell in charge there, and I was probably in, in a majority of supporters of my generation and in a majority of supporters generally. But I would have loved to have seen Keane come back because the one thing that this club needs is an absolute raising of standards. Yeah. It needs pride put back into it. It needs somebody to grab it by the scruff of its neck and really elevate every aspect of it. And, you know, back in you know, 2005, 2006, whenever it was, Keane did that in a matter of weeks. And everybody aspired, you know, from, from the supporters to the people reporting on the club to the players, everybody aspired to get to Roy Keane's level and it just hit the whole club. And I know it's really difficult at the minute without supporters in the stadium and all that, but we, we need that personality. We need that person to grab that, that club and just you know, make people have or have that expectation of pride and care because it's been left, you know, from the academy and everything else. We've we've gone through it in you know in minute detail over the past past few years. But on on Tuesday night, that that pitch was a very visible symbol mm-hmm. of the neglect of the club over the past few years. Jimmy, what were your thoughts on this? <laughs> so we've gone, we were talking about attacking midfielders. We've gone really deep. <laughs> There's about ten million different places my brains go into because I mean you've got someone like Kieran Brady who will tell you and has said on this podcast that the cultural problems at Sunderland have lasted for thirty years. Roy Keane, interesting person to bring up as well because he admits he admits in his most recent autobiographies like. He made a mistake bringing in too many players on good money that came to Sunderland for the wrong reasons, people that felt they were doing a favour to the club. And that's still a mentality that's there. People who are coming to Sunderland for a big payday rather than to further their career. Then obviously, like Martin touched on, you've got the Eastley lot trying to do promotion on the cheap, being arrogant, offering big money, thinking they couldn't fail here, not treating League One with the respect it deserved and getting things completely wrong. And then there's just all these different things where it's, where Sunderland's gone wrong over the last 30 years, last 10 years, last two and a half years. And the, and the big question is, how do you turn it round? And I, good luck, good luck. <laughs> I mean, bringing in someone like Christian Speakman and elevating youth players sounds great, but then we've brought in a new head coach and Dan Neal, one of our most promising youngsters, can't get a luck in, 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 in the Pizza Cup in Lee Johnson's second game. So has that translated? Is the communication breakdown there already between our new executive and our new head coach? It's, it's, it's really difficult and it's, it's not something that can be can be fixed overnight. I mean, good culture is it's one of those things, you know You know it when you see it, you look at like a Burnley or, or a Dortmund or you look at these teams where there's a real way of playing that's been established over the years and it can carry on. But, but, but most teams don't have good cultures and some stand out for having an especially bad one. And I don't know what the, the the steps to take that back are, what the first step should be. Maybe it is, maybe it's booting out Aidan McGeady. Maybe maybe that was, maybe Phil Parkinson was on a summit. Maybe he's just <laughs> too awkward and he's too chippy and he's got too high an opinion of himself and that's where you start. But yeah, no, Sunderland's cultural problems have existed and manifested in many different ways over the last 12 years, whether it's, yeah, the cheapness, the, the arrogant overpaid players the lack of consistency in the dugout, the lack of consistency in executive decision-making positions. There's, there's, there's so much that's gone wrong. I don't know how you turn it around. And then the only other thing I'd mention, which is probably quite important, is this is like month four or five of stadiumless football. And I think more than ever, and it was noticeable last night, 
you can see the teams that are up for playing in empty stadiums yeah. during month 10, 11 of the pandemic and the others who are maybe on autopilot a little bit. Not, not that they're not trying, not that they're not giving their all, but they're just not going to that extra level. I think that's maybe something we've seen with our team. Like Those first 15 minutes, our intensity just wasn't there. Plymouth got to grips with the conditions and got the lead and, and we were still sort of like, oh crap, this game's not been called off. Oh crap, we're actually <laughs> supposed to be playing in the rain. Like we, we just weren't there. So I feel like there's a lot of different things that you can't really quantify that are wrong with Sunderland at the moment. And it's 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 good to lay them out there, but I'm I'm scratching my head wondering what we should do next. I was thinking this actually about the um, basically teams coming to the stadium alike without fans. And it actually must be really nice for the away team to come to, you know, lovely stadium, as I said, you know, fantastic stadium, great facilities, blah, 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 and have no vocal support against them, sort of thing. It must be like, you know, quite a nice day. You think, like, you know, looking at the teams that have beaten us this season at home, you know, and we see it on the, on the other pod this week, you know, the likes of MK Dons, Wigan, obviously Plymouth you know, draw into the likes of AFC, Wimbledon, sorry. And teams aren't scared to come to us because it's such a, it's a nice day in the play and it's a great, great day out for them and they're up for it. You know, this is the, I say, it's a horrible phrase to use. This is still their cup final. And our, we're just not, so we don't seem prepared for that this season at all. Um, you know, I don't know if it's the home comforts they're missing or what. I say, likes of um, Chris Maguire, he's been terrible this season and he is definitely a player who needs that crowd behind him to, you know, he wants to be the, the the king, which, you know, I always hate that nickname for him personally. But, you know, he always wants to be the main man. And in an empty stadium, he's not the main man. I think there's a, there's a few interesting bits in, in that, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we went through a spell a couple of years ago where it was our fault as match attendant fans that the players couldn't win at home. Yeah. <laughs> right. And now it's because when the supporters aren't there that we can't win at home. So, you know, there's there's something probably in the middle there that's that's verging on, on the truth i think um jimmy's jimmy's point about you know mentally for the players to be playing empty stadiums and some relish it and some don't you know you can see with Maguire, you know it's, it's always been evident he's a player who likes the big crowd behind him gets up for it he gets motivated by by the crowd and i listened to to something um an interview with george honeyman it was either before or after we played hull recently and he said you know you know if, if the crowds weren't there when i was a, a kid being a professional footballer wouldn't have had anywhere near the appeal it has, and you know you, yeah. you can't underestimate the, the the impact the lack of fans has on on these players. And then you you know you factor in you know you know for, for us for example the likes of um, Scowen, Aidan O'Brien have moved north away from you know the, the families and all that sort of stuff during a pandemic. Now that that move from south to north is difficult enough as we've experienced over the years for players to make, but without being able to see your family without being able to socialize without being able to do all of the things that you would normally do and the, you know the the mental restrict or the mental difficulties that the pandemic brings to to all of us you know there's all of these underlying factors as well which you know obviously aren't just unique to, to Sunderland but you know when we're looking at the players who are playing well who you know given the chance all that sort of stuff all of these things need to be to be factored in you know maybe some leeway needs to be given to to certain players because of the the circumstances that they're actually living and working and operating in that's a great point martin actually great point um well we've gone on for a massive tangent (laughs) (laughs) from from what we're talking about um i'll very very quickly up front i think the answer is going to be anyway um it's going to be o'brien and wiking up front isn't it Um, or do you guys (laughs) i'm sure you might hope it's different but do you think it will be different yeah i think you've nailed it they're the two i've got written down O'Brien scored. He 
he's been okay. He's been okay the last two games. I, I wouldn't say more than okay. He's still annoyingly lightweight, but we've, we've started to see a bit of his ability. He scored a good goal. He's someone who can drop off and bring the ball up in midfield. I mean, if, if, if Lee Johnson saw Luke O'Nine as a midfielder rather than a striker, that would be an interesting one. Do you put him in one of the two? And do you see what he can do from there? Could, could, could O'Brien potentially partner Luke O'Nine? Could he be the one to really benefit from this new system? Do we see Luke O'Nine as a second striker again? That would that'd be interesting. But now I'm expecting he scored a hat-trick the other week. He'll give Wyke one more chance. As, as frustrating and as terrible as he was last night, I'm, I'm fully expecting it to be those two. I'm going to be honest, Jimmy. I think after this podcast goes out and the comments that we made of it would be the comment that you just said that Luke O'Neill should be a striker. <laughs> should be a striker. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd go along with that. I'd, I'd give him a shot. As I, say, as I said before, he's, he's one yeah. of the few players with a natural goal-scoring ability. And we've you know we've seen at Wickham where he was playing as a, an advancement field player. And he had a little spell under Jack Ross where he was kind of playing as number 10. I think it was the Barnsley at home game where we played really well and he, he played an advanced, um, advanced midfield role, I think. I'm, I'm right in saying I might be wrong. But he certainly had a few games where he was playing advanced. And I, I would play him as a sort of second, second... I think you've got to give it... Until we sign somebody, we've got to try things. And with Gooch being yeah, out... Sure. You know, I think we was it was a Port Vale game, wasn't it, where Gooch and O'Brien played together. And yes. in, in that system, like O'Brien kind of often played on the shoulder and Gooch came and held the ball up. And... You know, you you look at, and that's obviously how we, how you need to play it too. Somebody's got to play on the last man. Somebody's got to come deep and hold it up. And because of Gucci's um, positive COVID test, he obviously dropped out of the Wimbledon game. And it was you know rumored beforehand that Gucci and O'Brien would have started that game as as the front two. And in which case, O'Brien would have been on the last man. Gucci dropping deep because Gucci dropped out. O'Brien had to be the the, the player slightly deeper. And Wyke on the last man because Wyke can't come and hold the ball up. So you've you've kind of got this dilemma now where O'Brien's kind of maybe playing not his natural role up front. And you know, the, I tell you what, if if I was Johnson, I'd be seriously considering partnering. If if O'Nine's fit, I'd be going well. Let's play O'Nine. I'm sorry, O'Brien on the shoulder of of the last defender and put O'Nine alongside him, slightly slightly withdrawn. But so O'Nine can come deep, link up the play. O'Nine's energy up there. You know, if you compare O'Nine's energy to Charlie Wyke's statuesque, oh yeah, of course, <laughs> perform like that <laughs> would just give you an instant boost anyway. That's good. good. So, yeah, fair play, Jim. I guess I'm getting swept, um, getting turned on this. Sorry, me, me and Jimmy might be on the <laughs> island. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, I think I think it's got merit. So let's have a look then at our um, our opposition on Saturday. So Shrewsbury Town um, and our. Well, our old assistant manager, Steve Cottrell, obviously in charge. Um, obviously, he's in he is in hospital at the moment with COVID, and so we wish him all the best. Um, sounds like he's out of the worst of it, which is, uh, you know, thankful for that. So, yeah, you know, all the best to him. He seems to turn a bit of a corner there, though. They're, they're currently 17th in the league, which I think because it's, it's let's say, how this league is at the moment, that's a little bit unfair to him. And, you know, we may think that's a little bit um, going to be an easy touch. But um, their form is actually very good. Now we haven't they haven't played any games uh, league games though yet this year. Southampton um, in the cup this week was their first game of um, twenty twenty one, and they put a good account of themselves. By all account, they did lose two nil. Um, but since the twenty first of November, they've not actually lost in the league, um, and that includes uh, draws against MK Dons and Acton Stanley, um, and also against Charlton. But then they have beat Hull away, Lincoln away, Doncaster away, drew a Wigan, and then beat Blackpool. So. They're on a little bit of a, a, you know, a good run, albeit they have had a break because of um, because of COVID. Um, 
Sean Woolley up front's got five goals and three assists, so you know they've got a player to uh, to watch out for. Jimmy, what are your thoughts on a uh, on Saturday's opposition? It's concerning, isn't it? When you when you read it like that, Brett. I mean, that's that's really impressive. Like they were, yeah. Shrewsbury are one of those teams you don't really give a second's thought to. To be honest, they've sort of in the two years we've been in the league, both years they've been sort of lower mid table. They don't really have that many outstanding players. I think Pierre at centre backs maybe. Maybe their best player, based off what I've seen and what I've heard. Well, he's got four goals this season. Oh, that's not bad. But <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, it's it's just you look at that record since Cottrell went in, and you think, what on earth must he have done there? Because the teams they've been beat there are all teams that we'd expect to be right up there, that are right up amongst us or above us in the table. So whatever he's doing, it, it seems to be working. I mean, it's a, it's a weird squad. It's a mix of sort of like unknown journeymen and then players that have played higher that are coming back down. What Whatever Cottrell's doing there is working and it's... Obviously, we can't just sort of look at them and pencil in three points when you list off the form they've had and the results they've had against promotion-chasing teams. So if you look at their form since they've um, they've beat Ipswich, our form since we beat Ipswich on November the 3rd, as I say, we've, we've lost to MK Dons and Wigan and obviously now mm. Plymouth and drew with Wimbledon and Hull at home. So our home form, so you know, you touched on it a bit earlier, before yesterday, we were actually, um, for the last six games, 17th in the form table for, for home games. So our home form is shocking. Um, our last three away, our last six away games were actually third. So that's what's pushing us up. But, you know, Martin... This is going to be a tough game on Saturday. Oh, it's going to be a very tough game. Like, you, you look at um, Shrewsbury. <laughs> look at that, look at all the facts. <laughs> oh, like, Shrewsbury are uh, sort of down the, down the table because of the home record. I think they've, they've won one in nine at home. And away from home, they've, I think they've won what, the, the ninth in the, in the away league. Like, they've won four and drawn four out of 11 away games. And as you say, they've beaten some pretty good teams on the travels as well. And, like, you factor their away record in with our home record like the i just found this really interesting like the this the six the six teams at the bottom of the away form league right milton Keynes, wigan northampton burton albion swindon and plymouth we've played four <laughs> of those and we've picked up one point so you and we're supposed to be uh, challenging for promotion <laughs> well yeah there's a lot lots of things we're supposed to be doing isn't there yeah so like it's going to be a really hard game and you know as you say cotrell's come in and he's Done a really good job there. He's obviously got his notebooks out from when he was at at Sunderland because he, <laughs> he used to love standing on the touchline, jotting jotting things down, didn't he? Maybe he's he's gone back and found some some nuggets in in there. That was always one of my favourite. He's, um, he's obviously learned of Howard Wilkinson, hasn't he? Oh, the anecdote, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably true. Cottrell was taking notes on the sideline in in one game. And he he paused, looked up, pondered what to write. And somebody shouted, what's the matter, Cockrell? Don't you know how to spell shite? <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of summed him up at Sunday, didn't it? But no, he's done, he's done a good job there, to be, to be fair to him. No, he's doing well. And there's also a fear of mine. You, so you put it into our little uh, chat beforehand. That there's a, there's word that um, Brendan Galloway may be going there from Luton. Now, obviously, you remember he was with us. It's another ghost of oh. Christmas past, isn't it? Exactly that. So, so we, we can already guarantee it now. If he signs before um, Friday and he's in that team for Saturday, he will have the game of his life. And we'll wonder why did we, we just get rid of him? Because it's the rule of Sunderland. That's what's going to happen. Another terrible player. Surely disgraceful. For it's going to be like a Vietnam veteran going back to Vietnam. <laughs> he's going to have PTSD <laughs> if he comes back to Sunderland. Like, 
This guy was like starting games for Everton as a teenager. He came to Sunderland and like it was like he it was like someone was like trying to shoot him in the crowd he just looked terrified every game like i've i've never seen anything like it i think you could put brendan galloway's five or six games for sunderland up against anything else all the rubbish we've seen in the last 5 years and it might be the worst i i have no idea what happened to the lad he just he was terrible in his first game and then he, it was the snowball started going down the hill he was it was awful <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm praying so much that he doesn't sign for them because I can see it already what's going to happen. These last two, three minutes of conversation, we've just completely jinxed ourselves. So <laughs> let's get a prediction then um, ahead of the game. Jimmy, what's your uh, what's your thoughts then? What's going to happen on Saturday? I'm, I'm going to have to go 1-0 Sunderland. I mean, it's it's exactly the, the sort of game that sums up why I've been struggling. It's, it's the game that's really killing our promotion chance at the moment us at home against a team that we're going to have to break down it's 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 just the game we can't win for the lives of us like johnson's tried different things we're a bit more direct against hull we played slow slow football against wigan and afc wimbledon god knows what he's going to try if he's going to stick with this 4-2-2 i just have to believe we're going to win i have to believe that eventually law of averages says we win one of these games and, and that we're going to win on saturday you're going for Martin, what's your thoughts? Well, I I predicted Sunderland 4, Plymouth nil before our game on Tuesday, so you should take my predictions with an absolute <laughs> pinch of salt. Like, I, I'd be very, very happy, obviously, but surprised if we come out with a game on Saturday with three points. And that is just a reflection of where we are now. Um, you know, to my to my mind, we've we've regressed since Lee Johnson took over. And hopefully it's one step back to go two or three steps forward. Um, not necessarily in terms of the, you know, the if you're breaking down performances, I think, you know, there's been improvements in areas of performance. But as a cohesive unit and as an outcome of over 90 minutes, you know, statistically, points-wise, we've, we've, you know, we've played some poor sides, really. And, we you know, we haven't picked up points at all. So, I th- you know, I think it's probably a, a flip of the coin whether we win on Saturday or not, I'll sit in the fence. I'll go for a draw. Is um is my prediction. But as I say, hoping we win. But I'd be I'd be I'd be very pleasantly surprised if we do. Which is terrible, isn't it? It's Shrewsbury. I know that that's that's the annoying thing. We're playing Shrewsbury at home, and we're we're panicking about getting three points. Again. <laughs> like, that how did be, it come yeah, to this? Yeah. Like seriously, it should be how many are we going to win by on Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not anymore. Right then, gents. Well, we've uh, I think we've gone on for. For just about enough. We've gone on quite a few tangents tonight, which is nice. Um, it leads me um, just to sort of mention, obviously you two are both actually involved in this as well. So um, there's a few of us who have got together um, at Roker Port to, uh, we're running, cycling, walking, um, 1,084 miles. Um, and we're doing it for Campaign Against Living Miserably. That's a uh, calm there. If you fancy sponsoring us, I say Jimmy at the moment is flying with sneaky little 15 mile runs. He keeps... He keeps popping up with um, Jimmy. You're doing very, very well. You actually, I think you're leading at the moment, aren't you? It's very close between me and you, mate. Uh, you, you're sort of selling yourself short there. You've been keeping up with me. Just yeah, these sneaky ten mile runs. Yeah, I'm, what I'm, you're I'm, doing? I'm it's like doing a podcast with Steve Cram and Steve Avetti. Like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Thing is, I think Jimmy's. I've got about 10, 15 years on Jimmy. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm not feeling. 
But no, if you fancy sponsoring us, the, um, the, the hashtag is, um, it's hashtag RR1084. So basically what it is, that, that 1,084 miles we've plucked out of nowhere is um, it's two trips from the Stadium Alight to Wembley and back. Um, so yeah, we, we, we're, we're on course to hit our targets. So that's, so we're pleased with that. The lads are all doing well. But Martin, thank you very much for your time tonight. Cheers, mate. It's been a pleasure. And uh, Jimmy, as always, pleasure speaking to you as well. Cheers, lads. Enjoyed that. And thank you for listening. So, as always, subscribe. It's on Acast, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Um, I think we're still on Amazon. But, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Uh, speak another time. Thanks a lot. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.